Well, so a couple of things. I mean, first of all, I'll say, you know, I don't think this is just purely a conservative thing. I think there are liberals, uh, including, uh, you know, some some conservative commentators who commented about um, shooting victims, for instance, who have, um, you know, who have had to overcome uh, the standard in the New York Times versus Sullivan. So this is this is for everyone to, you know, to okay. protect everyone from being defamed in um, in the public discourse. Uh, so I'll say that. But uh, but, yeah, I mean, the state. State generally controls the law, the substantive law, subject to the Article One, Section Eight powers of Congress to legislate in narrowly defined areas. In recent decades, that's kind of <laughs> the Congress has really encroached uh, uh, beyond what it's supposed to be doing. But that that that's a separate issue for another day. But here in Florida, we regulate um, the defamation law, among other things. There's an opportunity to retract uh, defamatory content that you have to give before you can seek certain types of damages, particularly from a news media defendant. And so the states, and in fact, in New York Times versus Sullivan, they, uh, there was a state regulation of um, the libel law that was, that was at issue on New York Times versus Sullivan. So the states generally regulate that sort of thing, and they're subject really to only to their own constitutions and to the federal constitution. And there's nothing in the federal constitution that uh, sets up this dichotomy for public figure, and that was just the court kind of weighing the values. And the court's not supposed to weigh values. The court's supposed to adjudicate the law and the Constitution, and the state legislature is supposed to weigh public policy because we're elected by the people, and we're supposed to weigh public policy and make the law. And in this case, the uh, New York Times versus Sullivan Court just kind of made the law on its own, and that's why I think the... Um, uh, it's holding this is problematic. Sure, sure. Again, if you're just tuning in right now, we're talking to Hillsborough County State Representative Mike Beltran. He is the co-sponsor of this bill that would, uh, you know, looks at the uh, defamation in terms of how who people could sue uh, under the defamation law. And last question for you, Representative, because I know you're busy here, is, you know, obviously we've heard concerns uh, about that this threatens free speech, the right to criticize government officials and other powerful types uh, without the fear of financial or, or other types of retribution. What do you say to, to those who say that this is um, this imperils free speech? Well, I don't think it imperils uh, free speech. I mean, obviously, you have the, the right to express your opinion. You have the right to express truthful content. If you're doing your diligence and your research and investigation, whether you're a journalist or whether you're a private citizen, you really have nothing uh, to fear. It's when somebody becomes biased and they're going to attack somebody uh, at all costs and they don't want to do their research or they're going to twist or misconstrue uh, the truth and they make false factual assertions about somebody, then they're going to be subject uh, to a defamation lawsuit. So it it doesn't, um, doesn't do anything to impair somebody who's either giving an opinion, which is always protected. You can always give your opinion. Uh, whether it's legitimate or not, you're always entitled to your opinion, and then you're entitled to state um, to state legitimate facts, and you're entitled um, to you know to publish what you need to publish as long as you've done your diligence and in your investigation. And uh, representative, there's something in this legislation here that would allow a journalist who ends up on the on the winning side of a lawsuit to recoup their losses in full. I have not seen um, I've not seen that in the legislation. Um, but, um, I think, uh, I mean, you know, certainly, uh, there's a lot of causes of actions that have two way attorney fees. I think that would be perfectly fine. I mean, I kind of believe in the, uh, you know, allowing the winning side to recover their attorney fees, uh, not just the journalists, but also the claimants. 
I think if there was a two-way two-way attorney fee, that would be fine. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Representative Mike Beltran, who is the co-sponsor of this bill uh, regarding defamation. Um, thank you so much, Representative Beltran. We appreciate your time this morning. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Appreciate okay. your interest in the bill. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Okay, and now we're going to move on to hear from a free speech advocate. Uh, let's see. Uh, we have a mo- okay a moment for in a moment we're going to hear from S- uh, Seth Stern. He's a director of advocacy with the Freedom of the Press Foundation, uh, which is a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization that protects, defends, and empowers public interest journalism in the twenty first century. Uh, so we're waiting in just a moment. We'll get. Oh, what do you think? What do you think of that conversation, Mitch? I mean, I, I think that like. Every day you have these discussions in the newsroom, right? Let's get this story really yeah. tight. Let's make sure everything and and people they want us to talk about journalism here, and so much stuff gets left on the cutting room floor when we're writing stories, right? Because it wouldn't fly in a courtroom. It costs money to call your lawyer to, to check to check stories for you before you put them out. Yeah, yeah. You guys work with lawyers. We we do too. Um, and uh, because because yes, maybe it's it's harder to sue. Uh, you know, here than other places um, because of our First Amendment. But uh, I mean, no organization <laughs> wants to get sued. Yeah. I can tell you that from what we do. And so, you know, obviously this is uh, inspired, I would think, and I wish I had the chance to, to ask Representative Beltran, but we only had a few minutes with him about, you know, really the inspiration. Okay, so instead of us, we'll go yeah, talk yeah. about that in a minute, but we've got, uh, we've got uh, Seth Stern with us. Seth, good morning. Great to be here. Good morning. Okay, Seth. So, I don't know if you did you get a chance to hear Representative Beltran there? You know, I heard part of his comments, but then I had to sort of troubleshoot our Zoom feed a bit, so I didn't hear everything. Sure, sure. Well, um, you know, basically, so about this this bill, I know you have looked at it and you've uh, commented, you know, you've written about it. What's what's your take about this? Well, if we're talking about the defamation bill, it's an attack on the most fundamental press protections in the country, and we've really never seen anything like it. It's blatantly unconstitutional, and I think the people behind it, including the governor, uh, know that. They're looking to set up a Supreme Court showdown and make Florida sort of the the national laboratory for, for speech repression. I would note you were talking about Europe. There was a law passed in Congress in 2010 called the Speech Act. It's a bipartisan law that says U.S. courts don't enforce foreign defamation judgments from jurisdictions that don't recognize the same protections for press freedom we do. And that's because America historically takes pride in protecting free speech at a level that other places don't. And, you know, if a foreign jurisdiction passed a law like the one being proposed in Florida right now, there's a good chance American courts would refuse to enforce it because it's fundamentally um, un-American. It does scale back New York Times versus Sullivan, which is a landmark precedent uh, for, for, for press freedoms, but it does a lot more than that. The House bill would which says that prevailing defamation plaintiffs get to recover their own attorney's fees. You were talking about the expense of, of, of litigation. People can't afford their own lawyers, let alone somebody else's. Nobody's going to invest in investigative journalism if you've got to go through the burden of proving in court through admissible evidence, no hearsay, that every detail you reported is is true, literally true, no, no room for error. And if you lose, you've got to pay the other guy's lawyers, too. The Supreme Court recognized that free speech requires breathing room. It's inevitable in an aggressive press, which is what we want. We want the fourth estate to be a watchdog here, right? In an aggressive press, it's inevitable that there are going to be errors on occasion. There's going to be hyperbole on occasion. So that's why public figures' recourse was limited to cases where the defamation was 
intentional, where there was a reckless disregard for the truth or knowledge of falsity. That's not an impassable standard. People pass that standard fairly regularly. You can look at the Fox News case with Dominion right now, um, where, where, where that's Fox's defense, actual malice, and Dominion's gathered some pretty good evidence that maybe Fox did act maliciously. That is the key, though, right, uh, Seth? Is it, you know, right? Uh, the Times versus Sullivan is about you know, quote unquote, actual malice. Yeah, Times versus Sullivan. The standard is that in order to prevail, a public figure plaintiff needs to prove actual malice. That means that the the newspaper, and it's not always a newspaper. It can be an individual. It can be a blogger. It can be an activist. Whoever it may be, either knew that the statements they made were false or were reckless in disregarding the truth or falsity. That's the current standard of from New York Times versus Sullivan, and it weeds out defamation cases that are based on minor inadvertent errors so that wealthy and powerful people cannot retaliate against their critics with harassive and retaliatory litigation. It's fundamental to protecting the First Amendment in this country. If you're just tuning in right now, you're listening to The Skinny here on WMNF. Uh, 88.5 FM. I'm Mitch Perry along with Ray Roa, and we're speaking with uh, Seth Stern, who, and we're talking, uh, who is the director of advocacy with the Freedom of the Press Foundation, talking about this proposal in the Florida legislature that was, uh, I think, introduced last week uh, that would uh, basically make it easier to go sue media organizations. you have a question there? Yeah, I mean, we asked Representative Beltran if, if there was a mechanism to where the journalist could recoup, or the journalist or news organization could recoup uh, damages if they came out on the winning side and didn't have a great um, answer for that. And you kind of alluded to this, Seth, about how performative this is. But we've also seen that in Florida, um, we've seen some pretty wild stuff get passed. And um, what happens if this does pass in Florida? And what does that interim look like as it makes its way up the courts? Well, um, one concern is whether there will be copycats in other states who um, see this as may be politically viable for Governor DeSantis and try to emulate him. That's the first concern, copycat bills in other states. As it makes its way up the courts, I would expect that any appellate court that follows New York Times versus Sullivan would strike it down. It, 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 it's a clear violation of the established Supreme Court precedent of Sullivan and later cases that echoed Sullivan. And the appellate courts are, of course, bound by the Supreme Court. Once it gets to the Supreme Court, that's, I think that perhaps the reason that Governor DeSantis was emboldened to try something like this, and this was his proposal, as mm-hmm. he made clear in his roundtable, the bill pretty much echoes Governor DeSantis' talking point. Uh, he might be emboldened by some commentary by Justice Thomas questioning whether NYT versus Sullivan is still, um, it was rightly decided and still viable. We obviously think it is. I'm confident that the majority of the Supreme Court would agree, although these days with the Supreme Court, of course, you never know, which is probably why um, why we're here in the first place. Now, the other bill we wanted to talk to you about just came out, I think, the last two day, day or so, and that is kind of a wild thing. Uh, this is a bill sponsored by Central Florida, Florida Republican State Senator Jason Brodeur that, if passed, would require bloggers who write about uh, Governor DeSantis, his cabinet, or state legislators to register with the state. Uh, the bill was called Information Dissemination, would also require bloggers to disclose who's paying them for their posts on certain elected officials and how much. Um, the legislation says if a blogger posts to a blog about an elected state officer and receives or will receive compensation for that post, the blogger must register with the appropriate office within five days of the post. 
Uh, failure to register readers only fine of $25 a day, and the penalty would be capped at $2,500 per posting. Um, okay, Seth, what were your thoughts here? Yeah, this one is really wild. We had never seen anything like the uh, defamation bill um, until we saw this one. <laughs> this That's Florida. A registry of critics of the government and the people who support them in the United States. I mean, let's, let's not mince words here. This is really scary, fascist stuff. A lot of Floridians had to flee from places that did things like this. And I was just reading this morning about licensing and registration procedures for publishers in 17th century England. So it's fair to assume this isn't what the founders had in mind. It's fundamentally unconstitutional because it targets speech based on its content. So you don't have to register if you blog about pizza or even if you blog about politics, only if you talk about specific, powerful, individual politicians. So what purpose can this possibly have, is what I'm asking, other than enabling the government to keep a blacklist of people who have criticized it and people who have supported them. Governments that don't have anything to hide um, would invite and welcome criticism. That's what the First Amendment is for. They don't make people who disagree with them register with the state like they're sex offenders. And, you know, DeSantis' roundtable, all he talked about last month was how his efforts to scale back Sullivan were all about the little guys. Don't worry about him. He's got thick skin. He's only concerned with the little guys. Well, here's the bill coming from one of his allies, the person who introduced his, uh, his Senate bill on the Sullivan issue, that comes after individual bloggers sitting at their kitchen tables expressing their opinions. And anyone who makes, you know, a $20 donation to support them or, or pays them 50 bucks for a blog post. Well, that's the little. I, I don't know if DeSantis is behind the bill or not, but I'm pretty sure he knows about it. And I'm, I'm waiting to hear him denounce it. If he's concerned with ordinary Floridians and not with protecting his own back, and protecting the rich and the powerful, then that's exactly what he'll do. And, you know, the thing is, again, we're speaking with Seth Stern, uh, Director of Advocacy with the Freedom of the Press Foundation, about these new bills being filed in the Florida legislature uh, ahead of the session beginning next week. You know, I write for a website, the Florida Phoenix, uh, and we don't have a newspaper. Ray with the Creative Loafing has actually a physical newspaper along with the website. Um, and so, I, like, who is defining this, right? So I looked at the bill language. It says the uh, defines a blog as a, quote, website or web page that hosts any blogger and is frequently updated with opinion, commentary, or business content, but says the term does not include the website of a newspaper or other similar publication. Well, what's the similar publication? I mean, I, I'd like to think that the Fort of Phoenix is kind of like a newspaper, if you will, but I don't know if um, a court might think that if they don't, they object to something that we wrote. It just, it, that seems far too uh, ambiguous for for my taste, frankly, although we're not, you know, we're not writing commentary. I'm writing straight news stories, but nevertheless, what do you think about that? You think that's kind of essentially vague there, uh, Seth? Yeah, it's, it's really vague, both in terms of what kind of publications constitute a blog and also what's compensation. You know, if mm. somebody operates a blog and asks readers to donate through GoFundMe or whatever, do they need to disclose their GoFundMe donors? I'm not sure. The bill's really ambiguous. But that's, that's, I think, yeah, it's problematic when any legislation is ambiguous because people need to know what the law says and have an understanding so that they can comply with it. But that's the least of the problems with this one. It's just so fundamentally unconstitutional and un-American. However you define blogger, journalist, whatever it may be, 
to have critics of the government and critics of specific government officials have to register with the state. Never heard of anything like it, and it's entirely absurd. And Seth, I think we got time for one more question. I want to go back to the defamation false light um, bill that's up for debate. Um, Mitch and I were discussing how hard it is to get a news story out in a newsroom, how, how carefully all these things get vetted and how many lawyers do get called. Um, I was wondering, newspapers are these thoughtful places. What have the conversations been like between the Freedom of the Press Foundation and some newspapers reaching out to you about this? Well, I, I think newspapers are confident that they do their best to get the story right. When they don't do the, get the story right, they run corrections, at least responsible newspapers do. And in the rare event that someone makes an intentional error, um, the person who is harmed by that intentional error has recourse. So you're right. Newspapers, a lot of media outlets are in a pretty bad place financially. We all know about the struggles of local media in particular these days. Um, and it's sort of conveniently timed that in that landscape, the government would propose legislation that would increase the legal fees and the legal burdens on the media, both, as you say, in terms of, you know, not just pre-publication review, which, we, which lawyers already do, but defending even frivolous, even baseless lawsuits that under current protections, newspapers are able to get rid of fairly quickly through dismissal motions. All of those lawsuits are going to go through expensive discovery um, to determine whether they fit all of these ambiguous new criteria in this bill and whether they can advance. Um, and then in the instance that a newspaper does lose, even if the plaintiff didn't suffer any real damages, even if the damages award is, is, is $20, and even if it's a close case where both sides made good arguments, the newspaper is going to be in a position of having to pay both sides attorney's fees and then have to appeal in its, at, at its own expense. So it's really cost prohibitive to newspapers and it's going to be very damaging to already struggling media outlets. But I also want to emphasize that this isn't only about the media. Governor DeSantis and his allies might want to make it all about, you know, large media conglomerates. But no, the actual malice standard is asserted not only by large media conglomerates, but by individuals, bloggers, activists. This protects all of our rights to criticize the government, to oh. post on Facebook, wherever it might be, and be have the breathing room where if you make some minor error in the heat of a political campaign, you're not at risk of being sued into bankruptcy for it. Thank you, Seth. Yeah, okay, we're going to leave it there. Seth Stern, he's the Director of Advocacy with the Freedom of the Press Foundation. Seth, I know we just got reached to you last night, and you were able to, to come on this morning. I really appreciate your time this morning and give you some your insight. Thanks so much for having me. All right. That's Seth Stern there talking about these bills, and we're going to be watching them along with so many bills, of course, that have been filed uh, we, as we go into the legislative session beginning on March 7th. Uh, we've got a few minutes here. We're going to go in a, a little while. We're going to have uh, some candidates from the District 3 City Council race talking to us here about what they pr want to do to uh, make Tampa a better city, basically, why they are running for uh, City Council. But I do want to get, open the phones up right now for just a few minutes if we can here. Uh, anybody who wants to weigh in on what we were just talking about or anything else under the sun uh, because we didn't really get the chance to take phone calls last week, obviously, as we were fundraising and doing a debate. And we're going to be having a for candidate forum here in a few minutes as well. So 
I do appreciate everybody listening right now and everybody who listens and calls in and writes in. So if you want to call us right now, 813-239-9663 is the phone number. You can also uh, send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. And we did get a couple of notes here. Um, Let's see, from questions probably for Seth, who, you know, unfortunately is no longer here. Uh, uh, One person writes in, does this law address lies in political ads or in, or mailers or in robocalls or just directed at the press. Um, I do believe it's just for the media there. Uh, let's see. And then we've got another call. Um, let's see here. Um, let's see here. HP 269. Okay. Uh, I guess I can look that up, but I mean, okay. If, uh, somebody wants to talk about a specific bill, but uh, I don't have the bill number here or what that actually stands for. And then let's see, we've got uh, another call. Let's see here. Somebody wrote in, um, how does this affect parody sites? I'm very worried about this. It's very unconstitutional and violates free speech principles. Um, Okay, Bubba writing in there. So you've got that. Uh, And so we're going to go here in a few minutes here uh, with some of the candidates. Well, we've got uh, four candidates here, four of the five. Okay, so everybody settle down. We'll we'll be ready in a couple minutes for you here. Uh, But again, uh, again, uh, Ray, I want to give our listeners, this is the only chance I'll have if they want to call in. By the way, I did see something. Um, I'm actually hesitant to say this because uh, it was on Facebook, social media. I, I probably is true, but... I think I'll wait till next week to talk about this, but as somebody who's been a longtime caller to WMNF's talk uh, public affairs shows over the years, if not decades, I think I think passed away, and I don't mean to like tease that out and not say who it was, but I, because I I want to confirm that. But I, I saw that yesterday on social media, and I'm thinking about him right now because he's somebody that called in when I was doing the show and when Rob was doing the show for years. We heard from this person, and um, anyway, uh, we'll see about that. But anyway, our, our listener base out there, again, thank you. I'm trying to find out the number of actually people who called in. Uh, I know we you know, reached the 1,200. We our goal, and, and um, it, it came down to the last second. A lot of people did contribute um, even after the show was over, so um, it's, it's good to know that. We'll, we'll be back asking for money here in a few more months, um, but it's good to know that uh, you want a show like this, and uh, in a few minutes, we are going to meet um, most of the District 3 candidates. Um, you'll be able to um, hear from them and as, as his final push goes, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that. 813-239-9663, by and, the way. And let's talk about uh, you know election law, right? We've had two major election reform bills passed in the last couple of years after the 2020 session. Again, this is, this is one of those things where I thought, like, Florida, you know, I think people, you know, very proud of how we've come a long way since the 2000, quote-unquote, debacle election in terms of, uh, of having smooth elections locally and statewide. Uh, the 2020 election, we knew by 11 p.m. Donald Trump had won Florida and all the major races, the same thing. Uh, last November, of course, we knew by like 8.30 like who, uh, who, that Marco Rubio had won the U.S. Senate race. Ron DeSantis had won governor. In fact, Ron DeSantis' big uh, campaign speech, I think it was at like at 8.30 at night. You know, the polls had only closed at 8 o'clock central time or, you know, because the, uh, we had to wait till 8 o'clock um, to get that results from the, uh, the, the panhandle. So, I'm bringing. I'm talking. I want to talk about election bills for a moment, though, because we do have a municipal election here in Tampa. I know Jacksonville has one. Pinellas County are going to have some elections in a couple of weeks. Here, this is the time of our first election since some of these election bills. Uh, or the 22 session came in. And one of those those bills, of course, Republicans are really targeting vote by mail, right? Um, this is a national phenomenon, although I think this is very interesting, Ray Roa. So because President Trump after, and even during 2020, right, due to coronavirus, you had states doing vote by mail who had never done it before, like Pennsylvania and other places. They hadn't been like us here in Florida, had a real record of doing this and knowing how to count the votes and all that. And so uh, what you had there 
is um, a lot of you know people saying that, that it was tainted, you know, it was not fair, or whatever. And so you had all these bills around the country passing laws that make it much tougher to vote by mail, including here in Florida, where we, you know, the Republican Party has mastered that over the decades, and all of a sudden it was an issue here. Well, one of the things was now for vote by mail, you. Uh, when you request a vote by mail through your local supervisor of election, you have to do it every election cycle, every two years and not every four years. So here we got an election coming up in Tampa, and I called the supervisor of elections yesterday to go, okay, how, how is the turnout when it comes to vote by mail uh, in comparison to four years ago? And I was told by the, the, the office there that uh, as of yesterday morning, and I know it's higher now, but as of yesterday morning, 9,081 mail ballots had been received by the Hillsborough County Supervisor of Elections in this Tampa municipal election. At the same time, four years ago in the 2019 municipal election, there were 15,334 mail ballots received. So it's I certainly don't think it's because of apathy that 6,000 less people are voting by mail now. It's because, frankly, people maybe thought they were going to get their vote by mail ballot. They didn't have to go make a request. And so... Folks, if, if you know the effect of reducing participation, I think it, we're seeing that happen in real time now from that one provision of that bill. Uh, and again, that might have been the 21 bill or the 22 because there was two major election reform bills. Okay, so we're just about ready to go here. Ray, we've got a couple things we want to talk about here. So we're going to bring up the, the district uh, four, excuse me, district three city council candidates. We have four of them here. Uh, Janet Cruz, you, you've been working on organizing yeah, this. Yeah, we, uh, we uh, wanted to bring everybody on. Janet Cruz, Janet uh, has declined our uh, in- invitation here. So we have um, 80% of the field here. Um, Jose Vasquez, Jake, uh, KJ Allen, George the Hunted Feshev, who has the coolest name in the race, and um, Lynn Hurtak, the incumbent in district three. So they'll be joining us here today. And to Mitch's point, election day is Tuesday, um, March 7th. Early voting is happening right now through Sunday. So if you're looking for your mail-in ballot and then you didn't get it, I mean, there are select sites you can go to there. We have a list at cltampa.com and the Hillsborough Supervisor of Elections has it as well. So you can vote right now all the way through Sunday and then again on, on Tuesday. So it's- I'm sorry, Ray. And so we, uh, you, we, we said we, we, we invited Janet Cruz. She, she's not participating. I want you, and you also, Creative Loafing did have an editorial about this. Yeah, so in, in full disclosure, uh, Creative Loafing has uh, issued its endorsements in this race. Full disclosure, we've uh, endorsed Lynn Hurtak here. Um, and it's mostly based on, you know, her what she's done on the dais already. So uh, some of that, uh, but a lot of positive things from all these candidates. And and the hallmark of this race, I think, is the way that they've all been able to push each other and force actual conversation versus some of the other races, which kind of have these weird uh, things to them. In this case, this race is not immune to those, but I think yours has been the most substantive. So uh, we have four of the candidates here. Um, I'd love it if you would take a couple minutes, uh, you know, no more than a minute or two, maybe introduce yourself. Um, Tell us how the campaign's going and then how you're feeling right now and why you think voters who haven't um, uh, hit the poll yet uh, should uh, circle in your name there. We'll start with uh, Mr. Allen. Uh, my name is KJ Allen. I'm running for District 3 at large. Um, the campaign is going pretty good, actually. Um, this is an extreme. I've been in education for about 10 years working with the youth, so this is all like brand new for me, just understanding like the lay of the land and how things work. But I feel overall it's going pretty good. My biggest thing is just, you know, not just making proposals but also seeing the pros and cons of these solutions i feel like a lot of the proposals that are being made when it comes to affordable housing transportation 
we don't even have a secure way to get the funding in some of these aspects. So I feel like the biggest thing for me is like if you can't get the proposal done right away, then just be able to pivot and, and find other sources of revenue. Um, but yeah, I've been in education for about 10 years and um, I just felt like it was time to kind of step in, you know, public service and do something on a, a larger scale because I know a lot of my families and my students are struggling with many of these issues. and. You know, uh, in short, it kind of sucks because, you know, we all want people to enjoy like the lavishes and luxuries of life. But um, if not now, then when? So I felt like it was best to just, you know, at least attempt to kind of step in, you know, the light and, and, you know, try to solve some of these solutions as much as possible. So these issues. So Thank you. Uh, Councilwoman Hertek. Hi, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, uh, I have been on council now for 10 months and before that was a, a neighborhood advocate and worked with uh, city departments through, um, uh, sat on the variance review board for two and a half years, served on the charter review commission, which is the, uh, was the review of the city's constitution basically. So uh, did that. And since I've been on council, just dove right in. Um, folks asked me to work on affordable housing. So that's what I've been doing. Uh, got the most money ever uh, in the budget for affordable housing. Um, with our CRAs, our Community Redevelopment Agency, I was able to find uh, twice as much money as we had predicted. So $20.2 million toward affordable housing, which isn't just building more housing, but helping keep people in the housing that they have. Uh, another thing I've been working on is transportation. Um, what we do now, now that we don't have the all for transportation money, now that um, the state has basically said that the all for transportation money that we did collect several years ago cannot be put toward transportation. So what do we do next? How do we, um, as a city where people are crying out and business leaders are crying out for us to do something about transportation, what does that look like? And then, of course, the, the big one is, of course, sustainability and killing pure which is the toilet to tap. Um, I was instrumental in killing that, um, unfortunately. As, uh, as some of the stakeholders like to say, it's a zombie. It'll find its way back. But we had a two-hour conversation yesterday on council about that. So uh, I highly recommend, uh, if folks want to learn more about me, lynnhertech.com, uh, and I would absolutely appreciate their support. And Mr. Vasquez, you're no, you're no stranger to the Tampa political scene, uh, but reintroduce yourself to our listeners and uh, talk about your campaign, how it's going, and, and uh, why they should circle you in here uh, as election, as they hit the polls. Well, first of all, thank you for the invita invitation. Um, thank you for uh, my colleagues, as I call this, because we are people doing campaign for bring the best we can for support the community. And like I used to say, my name is Jose Vasquez. I'm running for city council because I'm against the mismanagement we got in the city of Tampa. A lot of people know me because I support a lot of candidates who in the past um, make a lot of promises to all of us and they become elected and they now fulfill his commitments. So this year, I decided to be get involved in the city of Tampa race. Um, now, why Jose Vasquez running? Jose Vasquez running because I see in the way the city of Tampa mismanagement is Tampa. Because I'm a resident of East Tampa. And the, the phone or the collect all the complaints from the small business. I see in the way the nonprofits who try to do something for the community, they've been tapping away. So, you know, that's the reason I'm running. Now, if you ask me how we can fix this, it's simple. We go to have a six, seven city councils, and for the record, one wrong on a post. Um, the other six can be focused on trying to do some ordinances, 
And if I become elected, I can be focused on take care of the all the city departments because we need to supervise all the directors. And for the record, um, I want to be this very clear. I'm focused on co enforcement. Kenny O'Connor had to go. You know, simple like that. You're talking about Keith O'Connor. Correct. Okay. So, and uh, George, it's good to meet you. Uh, we've been in touch quite a lot over the course of the campaign. Um, yes. Uh, talk to some of the listeners who maybe don't know a little bit about you and, and why you're running. Yes, first, thank you for having me here. So I can say hello, Tampa. I love the city. Although I have uh, such a hard time for the last three and a half year here, I love it and it's worth So My name is George Feshev. I'm running for Tampa City Council District 3 to make our city safer. Safety is my first priority and should be yours too. Without being safe, what are you talking about? We need to curb the crimes. We need to set up the straight course for the city and lower the crime activities and penalize the criminals so they can not commit any more crimes in the future. I was a victim of violent crime three years ago, and this is how I got the name The Hunted at Tampa General Hospital. One of the nurses said that I've been hunted. I left. I survived with on, on only minor speech impairment. The doctor said we'll go away shortly. I will work to make the city safer by empowering the police to do their job. We need professionals and they need to get paid well. They also need to be a proper equipped. The second point in my platform is a good economy. We need to have the good economy running, to have the funds for the programs already been mentioned, and not wondering where we can get the money. National debt is big and we have to rely on ourselves more and more in the future. The past is over to receive funds and grants. Of course, if they are valuable, I'll make sure I will work all the corners as a very successful car salesman. I know how to do this very well. All right. All right. Thank so, you. Thank you so much. Okay. So, uh, again, if listeners are tuning in right now, you're hearing four of the five candidates are running for the Tampa City Council District 3 seat. Uh, I guess the election is on Tuesday night here in Tampa. Uh, Lynn Hurtek, I want to begin with you, if I could, here. Um, because I saw, and I want to give you the chance to respond to something that I read a couple days ago, okay? Because I read this article about you. The headline was uh, about uh, something about you and, uh, oh, it's, it's exploring Tampa City Council member Lynn Hertek's ties to Democratic Socialists, which sounds kind of kind of a loaded uh, title here. But I was reading the article and I didn't see you respond, get a response. Did the uh, person who wrote this article reach out to you at all? No. Okay, so we'll give the opportunity for you to do that right now because the story talks about uh, your affiliation with DCA, uh, DSA Tampa, the Democratic Socialists of America, of course, local chapter, which uh, the DSA has become really big in the last five, six years since Bernie Sanders' ascendancy to uh, running for president in 2016. But I was, I was perplexed by this. Uh, it talks about um, DSA. Uh, so the article says they asked about Turtax affiliation with DSA Tampa. A cruise campaign spokesperson said the group's extreme positions which include defunding the police and Medicare for all, and further added, the Tampa City Council is not the appropriate form to address issues such as abortion regulation, which we can talk about in a moment. I did want to say, though, when I read this this morning, um, Medicare for all uh, is actually um, is, is hardly an extreme thing. I went looked at this this morning. Uh, according to a morning consult political survey from 21, 55% of all voters support Medicare for all, including 80% of Democrats. So in Tampa, I really don't think that's um, radical. Okay, but when... Please, uh, you have the, the four here to discuss what was posited in that story there and how you want to respond to that. 
Um, I think you actually put the quote up that uh, I find interesting is that uh, like Medicare for all, um, supporting abortion is not an extremist position. Uh, I have gotten so many thanks from so many women um, as currently I'm the only woman on city council and to bring up a resolution that just says we aren't going to spend our taxpayer dollars on funding uh anyone going after people who might have had an abortion. That's all it was. It was a resolution to do that. And uh, I only got one colleague who signed on with that, Orlando Goods. The others refused. They, I don't know, I don't know why. Um, they ended up approving a resolution that was very watered down and basically said we would do whatever the state told us to do. Um, and I declined to sign that. Uh, and then, then we tried the ordinance route because... The council member said, hey, I'd be willing to do an ordinance. So we did an ordinance and they didn't support that either. So uh, again, it was just Orlando and yeah. myself that supported that ordinance. So I, d- I don't think that uh, that abortion is a is an extremist position when it comes to the Democratic Party. Um, we've all, I mean, the Democratic Party has been uh, pro-choice and um, focused on women's rights for many, many years. And I've been an advocate for women's rights for over 25 years. Okay, great. And then I want to open it up and let's not focus on the abortion, but the, the, uh, I mentioned also something about defunding the police. So I want to, George, you mentioned this a moment yes. ago about the police. So maybe we'll start with George and then going around the table. Let's talk about the police because it's been an issue with the, uh, the Citizen Review Board and just, you know, the police chief issue the last year. Overall, some people say Tampa needs more police officers. Where do you stand on that? I will stand on that of emphasizing the quality, the professionalism. Now we have a vacancy in the police, about 200 people. We need to increase the salaries and we need to increase the requirements, of course. In this way, we create a professional force that will help the society be safer. About the abortion, if I can get to this topic, we have the laws. It's 15 week. Law and order. Do I want to lower that 15 weeks? Yes. You, you, okay, so you want further restrictions on abortion in Florida? 12 weeks is widely norm in European countries, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that 12 weeks are enough for a woman to realize she's pregnant. Also about uh, the rapes, oh, okay. this is something that is not the will of God. And okay, all right, all right, let's go. Let's, we got to move on. We got a lot of questions and, uh, here, Jose. Yes, on police. Well, I'm the only candidate who can talk about about the police uh, actions. Um, I've been mis- mistreated because they confused me with some of the person is a career police uh, criminal. So I need to share that because I believe that we need to increase the Tampa police officers. But not only the officer, we need to increase our first responder team. And when we're talking about first responder team, we're talking about Police officer, fire rescue, paramedics. Okay. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, yep. it's a team who working together. Now. Okay. I mean, we want to move on. So, okay. When her tech. Um, I proposed uh, four weeks ago um, a public safety impact fee that would 
uh, enable developers who are coming in and bringing more people to have to pay for the increased um, public safety officers and um, fire stations and rescue cars and things like that that we are going to need as we bring more people. We are now with the pu- population we have, we are absolutely underfunded in those areas. Great. And KJ Allen. Yeah, I don't believe um, that funding the police is a good idea. I just feel like, you know, police officers and residents need to just continue to build rapport like we've been doing. Um, Because at the end of the day, if something happens in your neighborhood, in your community, you're going to definitely call the, you know, the police or first responders, whoever it may be, to um, see fit. So I definitely don't think defunding the police is a a good idea, but I definitely think we need to take into consideration where those fundings are, where the funds are going to come to, because you you talk about, you know, body cameras and all this Mm -hmm. technology that, you know, constituents and residents request, but it comes at the expense of the residents. So, So, okay, so you're definitely not for defunding, but the question is, do you want more officers? Do we need, should we hire more officers here in Tampa or no? What's your... Um, um, like George was saying, I feel like it, it comes down to the quality, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you don't want to have a war or workforce that's a, a shortage of workforce. Um, cause you know, I can only imagine the, the role of a police officer with just, you know, the night shifts and working right. doubles and all that type of stuff, okay. overtime work. Okay. Ray, you have a question? Yeah. I mean, uh, kind of switching gears a little bit here, KJ, you talked about, you know, cause it's kind of new, you've been learning a lot, um, on the campaign trail and, and you talk a lot about your students and the parents and things like that. Uh, how much have you changed as a candidate, as a person in the way that you see these policies that you've been talking about throughout the course of this campaign and what's been the feedback specifically from your kids? Um, and what do they say to you uh, when you're out on the trail and they see you there? Well, a lot of my students don't know I'm running because I work with the YMCA. So I try to keep my beliefs separate from, you know, the YMCA program. Um, so they don't really know what a council member is, to be honest with you. Um, I work in Sulphur Springs, but at the end of the day, I know like their goals and, and you know, their vision on life in that aspect. I feel like what I'm doing is essentially going to change, like, you know, their mindset moving forward, because one day they might want to be in like a political position, you know, a public servant position, whether it's a police officer, first responder, a teacher, um, mayor, whatever it may be. So I, I feel like overall it's good. Um and regardless, we'll just bounce back and we'll keep it going. I met a lot of good people throughout this time as a, a candidate for city council. So I mean, at the end of the day, like my job is not solely dependent on, you know, Tuesday's election moving forward. And uh, Councilwoman Hertek, you, like you mentioned, you've been on council, you've been doing all this homework, you're not sleeping, right? And what's it been like to kind of switch gears and then how has the campaign changed your approach to what you're doing on the dais? What have you learned about uh, your life on the dais from the campaign itself? It's really just been a more and uh, more encompassing chance to talk to people, which is what I've been doing um, as a council member. I go out, I do, I do a lot of tours. Um, so this has enabled me to talk to a lot more people um, who are not necessarily connected to a neighborhood association or a rotary club or one of those things. So um, it's been really, really um beneficial that way and i have to tell you on the campaign trail there's not one person who thinks that putting wastewater into the aquifer is a good idea yeah i think everybody here and, and correct me on the record here has has come out in opposition of pure the, the pure wastewater plan i mean correct me if i'm wrong here um uh, mr vasquez let's let's just go back to something specifically that you talked about you really want to work on code and you mentioned supervising these these departments some some within the city would argue that you know the right people are in there already leading it uh what do you say to that and if, if you make it to council how do you address those things from the dais via ordinance or anything like that well first of all we need to find out what is the problems because i'm as a resident i don't see no problems because we got the funding we got the equipment but they don't have the supervision sometimes you got employees doing 
try to perform 100% and they tell you, man, I, nothing else I can do because that's not part of my responsibilities. I don't want to get in problem with my supervisor, et cetera, et cetera. So I think if we start fiscalizing these uh, departments, this could be a better management on the city of Tampa. We need to share responsibilities because when you see a homeless person in one corner, okay, um, let's say this, uh, the consumer, uh, Linhart, see in the morning, right? And the police officer passed by in the same corner and see the same, and um, which management person see the same. Hey, we need to link the information. Maybe link one is explain that, hey, I see this person in this corner, but when she relied the information forward, somebody dropped the ball to give it the attention and support to that person. Okay. So, you know, that's the reason we need to find out the way to communicate through the department. Should we take this call? No, no, we're no, not no, going to no, okay. We're not taking calls. Um, George, uh, George, what, I want to make sure you have respond yes. to Ray's question. How has this campaign changed you, if in any ways? Campaign, somebody is stressful and it's uh, take a lot of time, but I love it. I love multitasking. In my consulting <laughs> business, I do this pretty much every day. I speak four languages. Uh, from the other side, after this happened to me, the shooting for the last three and a half year, I was involved in many volunteer activities in political campaign. I also serve in a historic preservation committee because this is my education. I My post-graduation was in Athens, Greece, so my experience I'm sure help the city preserve the history and the fabric of the society. The campaign, I love it. I'm sure I'm going to be elected and mm. I'm going to be working for the, for the city and for the residents. Okay. Okay, great. Uh, again, we only have about 10 minutes left to go. If you're just tuning in right now, you're listening to The Skinny here on WMNF. We have four of the five candidates running for the District 3 Tampa City Council seat. Uh, Janet Cruz is not here with us. Uh, I want to put a, an invitation out to Janet Cruz. If she su- succeeds in the runoff, uh, we want to, we'd love to have her back with whomever it was, maybe whoever else is in that runoff, if that happens like that. But anyway, a couple of things. I want to ask you about housing, but let's first talk about uh, partisanship, actually, because you know what, folks? This is a nonpartisan race, but um, people do care more than ever in these local elections who your, your party is. And in fact, there's a bill in Tallahassee that would make local elections partisan. So, George, beginning with you, I, you yes. are a Republican, is that correct? Yes, I'm registered Republican, yes. And I've heard people, you tell people that you think you're going to be one of the successful people in this candidacy because you're going to get Republicans to vote for you as well as other Democrats? I'm sure many Democrats will vote for me also. I've seen how the socialism works. America is well-developed society and people realize what is true and what is not good for them very quick. In Europe, it took a while, some countries over 80 years, some of them 40, but you can see in Hungary, it took about 10, maybe less than 10. So are you concerned about socialism happening here in America? I mean, not democratic social, there's a different form of socialism as we know, all right? Um, socialism is once and end up with when the other people money finish. And this is the problem with the socialism. It's not productive. Okay. Jose, uh, you are a Democrat. I know that. Uh, you've ran for many races here. Um, do you think it'd be okay like, if we actually just knew yet we had, you had a D next to your name and, and when people vote, or they should not know about that? No, no, of course. They, mm-hmm. they need to know who I am, yeah. why I stand up. But let me tell you this. I came from Puerto Rico. I'm a member of the New Progress Party on the island, and all party over there, or roots, is mixing with Democrats and Republicans at the federal level. So, you know, that's the reason the people confuse me sometimes. I say, well, come on, Jose, how you be a good friend of a Republican colleague? I say, because my beliefs is Democrats, but when the issue 
he both parties, mm -hmm. we working together. Right, right. So I had that experience for over 10, 15, 20, 23 years ago. Okay, so okay. I'm, I'm a Democrat. Move on. Thank you. When, uh, I believe you are a Democrat, and what do you think about this law that would make this race, which right now is nonpartisan, but would just make it more official that we would know that you're a Democrat? Um, I don't think it's a good idea because local politics are local. Um, everybody cares about clean water. Everybody cares about garbage. Um, I have a lot of Republican support in this election, um, and mainly just because they like what I'm doing or, um, yeah, just sure. so, yeah, okay. I, I don't think it's necessary. Sure. KJ, what about partisan, nonpartisan in election here? You said, do I believe? Well, yeah. The, so, the, so right now, as you know, it's a nonpartisan, and I don't know if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, actually, and it's not relevant right now. But there's a bill that would change this, and so local elections in the future, you would have to list your political affiliation. What do you think about that? No, I voted Republican um, these past few years. Um, I do understand the, the need to you know, provide social services and those things to you know residents and constituents, but I, I feel like at the end of the day, like there's so much money being funded to these you know, these different issues. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like, there's nothing really happening when it comes to that. So I feel like, yeah. you know, a limited government, in a sense, will be good. Okay. But at the same time, if nothing else, hone in on, like, the issues that we need and get the things done when it comes okay. to no party. And we've only got about, Ray, we want to throw the next question. Yeah, we have about six minutes left here. here. Maybe sneak one in here. So as, as Mitch alluded to, your race is likely going to go to a runoff, um, which means not all of you will, will, will be here after after March 7th. So uh, I want to ask you, if it's not you in a runoff, who, who are you going to support in this race and why? Start with you, KJ. I'm just going to continue to like support myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do you want, okay, all right. I feel like the you write yourself in. I feel like the things that I stand on, as far as like you know, providing actual like solutions to these issues, will go a long way. Um, may the best candidate wins when it comes to you know the runoff or whatever it may be. But I do feel like a lot of the proposals and things that are being made, they're not going to happen because. You know, preemption is a thing when it comes to our state. So you still have to build that rapport with our governor. You still have to build it with, you know, right. our representatives. So just simply saying we're going to do this, this, this for our city of Tampa when we're still recovering from that, you know, economic development plan okay. under Mayor Buckhorn. So it, it's a lot when it so comes to the issues. That, can't say who, though. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just, this is going to be a quick answer. Yeah, 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 really pretty quick answer. We'll go, go, go over to uh, Councilwoman Herzak. If it's not you, who, who are you going to support? Um... Well, it will be me, but uh, but I would support Jose. Okay, Jose, who would you? Well, like uh, Reddy Lynn say, I know it's two females on the race, and I'm the Latino face, and I tell you right now, Janet Cruz not going to be the one I'm going to support. I'm going to support Lynn. Okay, and then George, you? I'm the same person, and I believe I'm going to win, okay. because we have to stop with this senseless situation here, and all this uh, demagogy and hypocrisy. Okay, okay, that's what, quickly, we, just wanted, okay, we only have a couple minutes left to go. How about housing? Okay, I think, right, this has got to be the biggest issue you hear about. Certainly, it's been a huge issue in the last year and a half. Um, there, okay, so George, we'll begin with okay. you. Uh, the Tampa City Council talked about rent stabilization last year, or, yeah, I guess it was last year. Uh, they did not do that. Um, what's, what's your policy, what's your thoughts about how we can make uh, rents more affordable here in the city of Tampa? We cannot administer the rents because it's going to lead to a lot of corruption and it's going to be a big list of people waiting as, as I've seen in other countries. But we need to help our residents in need. We definitely need funds. We definitely need a good economy to fund a rental assistance program and also affordable housing program. And I will emphasize that the affordable housing doesn't mean a cheap housing. Mm -hmm. So okay. this is not right. cheap. Sure. It has How's to it? be a housing and we have to support our residents. 
Thank you. Okay. Jose, Jose on, on housing. Well, I can tell you about housing. I remember back in the days when we got so many trailer parks and the city of Tampa turning down. Today, they concept is called a tiny house. Guess what? We got the, 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 the race not coming to Tampa. Hey, city of Tampa, let's go buy the land, do what we need to do, and let's go start creating micro communities. I propose to create a community from you campaign seven to 10 years. So that person, he want to upgrade his property. Guess what? We got somebody with the credit and, and money to buy whatever he thinks is affordable for him. That's simple like that. Let's move on. Lynn Hurtschak. Um, the answer is more housing. I mean, we just, we can't build it fast enough. Lynn Hurtschak, did you support the uh, efforts at rent stabilization that were discussed last year? Well, I supported putting on the ballot for letting uh, the voters decide because that's what the voters asked for. Um, but uh, the rest of council flip-flopped. Um, so, no, uh, absolutely more housing. Um, we actually put in uh, about $7 million to help rent um, folks match that rent. We were out of that money from the beginning of fiscal budget in October, we were out of that money at the beginning right, of January. Right, KJ, on, on, the, on the issue of housing, affordable housing here in Tampa, what do we do? Um, I think if we're going to do that, uh, we definitely have to revisit the Tampa City Charter when it comes to like tiny homes and you know ADU units. If we go do that route, I also think we need to like ease the restrictions when it comes to like you know historic properties and things like that to kind of let them you know add like the solar panels and stuff that they might need moving forward, and also give like you know. You know, we talk about density bonuses for developers. It kind of increases much space and much capacity to hold, you know, you know, housing and stuff. So there, there's a lot of things that we need to do moving forward if we're going to go that route. But um, as far as rent control or rent stabilization, I don't see that happening. Um, right. But well, yeah, There's a new law that's going to be passed very soon. Tallahassee but will completely not you know, ban that. It's pretty tight to do it right now. Ray, we only have a little bit over a minute left. Do you have one more question for the no, candidates? I was just saying, you know, this has been a great discussion here. It's, it's been a great race. Yours, yours has been very substantive. So if you want to just take 30 seconds here, and one last uh, talk to the listeners here and just let them know. Yeah. KJ, KJ, we'll start, start with you. KJ Island District 3, I would say if nothing else, just get out and vote. Um, this is definitely a, an important year for, for everybody in the city of Tampa when it comes to just, you know, all of our issues, affordable housing. We talked about um, water sustainability, transportation. So definitely get out to vote. Um, vote for your candidates and definitely look at, you know, those proposals they made for, you know, amendments um, in regards to, you know, um, and no, having a strong mayor and, and all those types of things. One last sentence, Lynn, as we run out of time here. Um, yeah, if you like what I've done for the last 10 months... Vote for me, LynnHertak.com. Mr. Vasquez. Yeah, if you tire of the same, vote for Jose. <laughs> George Fisher here. Check and balance and start with you guys. Go and vote. We need a bigger turnout. We need uh, 50, 60% of you to vote so you can select the right people for the city council. Thank you. Okay, those are the voices of George the Hunted Veshev. We've had Jose Vasquez, Win Hurtak, TJ, um, KJ Allen, uh, and, and of course the other, uh, Janet Cruz is also on the ballot. Uh, again, people are, there's early voting going on right now, right? I think today's yep. going to vote yeah, today. Yeah, early vote all through Sunday, and then election day is on Tuesday, March 7th, 7 to 7. Um, as George was saying, it would be great to see a 50% thir- turnout. Yeah, well, and again, because people aren't voting by mail, as we mentioned earlier, vote by mail is down, but of course people can go to the polls if you are registered. So that's going to be it. We really appreciate you listening in. Uh, uh, so next week we're going to have much more time for our call, people to call in and to write in. Uh, we'll have a little, I think we may have one guest, but other than that it's going to be really uh, uh, a chance to talk about the issues of the day. So uh, if we could there, Skip. Uh, yeah, you listen to WMF Tampa. This has been The Skinny. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.
And I think we're going to, there we go. Okay, a little Tame Impala there. Skip Sassy has been our engineer. I want to also thank uh, uh, DT for helping us out and produce the show today. I'm Mitch Perry, reporter with the Ford of Phoenix. Ray Ray Rowe with Trade Loafing Tampa Bay here. And we think Ben Montgomery is still with He's us. Around. We're looking for him. So, if you've seen him, <laughs> so send we us will a be back, though, next week, uh, our seventh show next week uh, on March 10th. But again, uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you again for the last people who contributed, last week, folks who contributed to our show. And uh, we'll be back same time, same place next week. Thank you.